Well, good morning, Olive Branch. It's great to see you guys. We, um, we are just uh, prepping here as the students are taking off. You got, if you're in junior high or high school, you're free to take off. You got your own, uh, your own kind of stuff going on over in the B Auditorium. Never know what to say. You know, you don't want to say like, it's Sunday school, because it's not really that. But you want to you be able to say, it's a discussion group in which you will have highly intellectual conversations. So, or, no, you just have some fun. Go on out there. So if you're in junior high or high school, you guys are free to go at this point. Otherwise, hey, adults, how are you guys? <laughs> it's good to see Yay, we're adults. This is so good. So glad. Now, we are in a series here called um, Overcome. We've been working through a um, conversation about fears and various forms of fears. Starting back at Easter, we dove into the conversation about the fear of death and how to overcome that. And looking, we examined some of the view of how the resurrection and the information that we've received about Jesus Christ on the cross changes that fear of death to not be a fear of death anymore. We moved on last week to a fear of evil, talking about God's presence and his control over life and all of this stuff that helps us also deal with that. If you're interested in hearing either of those, they're on the website and the podcast, and so you can kind of dive in and take a look and kind of pick up where, we, where we've headed off. In the meantime, though, we are, we're going to continue in a conversation about pain, and one of those things in pain that's kind of interesting to me is, is our cultural concepts of pain and how we deal with pain and how we deal with fear. And um, in, the, in the fear part, I remember back, did anybody else remember the no fear t-shirts, the whole no fear thing? Yeah. Did anybody own a no fear t-shirt? I think I had like one maybe. And there's a whole bunch of slogans they had in the, in the, in the uh, 90s and 2000s on the no fear stuff. Some of them were this. I have a kind of an old list of them. There's, there's no such thing as unnecessary roughness. No fear. And you're going to get kind of like the theme of no fear was like a bunch of macho men sitting around going, let's make a t-shirt company. You know, so that kind of a thing. And the next one is, um, Bull riding, where your only friend is a guy dressed up like a clown. No fear. I'm just like, okay, that's interesting. Um, it's uh, fear tastes like chicken. No fear. The road to victory is paved with flesh and bones. No fear. And I'm just like, okay, that's weird. You, and this is, a, this is a good one. It would have fit the first week pretty well, though. You, you do not greet death. You punch him in the throat repeatedly as he drags you away. No fear. Anybody feel like that kind of thing? I, that basically, their whole thing, their best one that they, they held out on was, thou shalt not fear. And that was their conversation. It's like, we shouldn't have fear. We need to be the kind of people who don't feel fear, willing to do anything straight through it, and nothing scares us. And we're really not talking that way as a church. I think it's important for us to note that fears are real. Fears are things we face and deal with. But we want to overcome our fears to not let our fears overcome us. We don't want to allow them to control our lives and direct them to act in ways that are unbiblical or unthoughtful. And so fear is something that we need to learn to deal with, especially when it comes to the the one we're talking about today, the fear of pain. Pain is something that honestly, as a suburban Coronaite, and you know, we all live in the suburbs here in Corona, maybe even a little rural if you're up in the, up by Lake Matthews, but we pretty much live in an area that, you know, in comparison to the rest of the globe, you're not going to find a lot of pain around us. Have you noticed that? If you were living in Uganda or you're living in somewhere in Africa, you're very likely to wake up every day facing some kind of disease, death, war, or something like that because um, children are being stolen off and placed into uh, into armies. You're, you're not, you don't have full functioning hospitals. Either the animals are dying or, you're, or people are starving. There's all kinds of disease and stuff in third world countries. You just have to go to Mexico to find some of that stuff down in South America. The majority of the world lives in a fashion in which pain is an everyday experience. And you say, yeah, well, so, yeah, I, I live in that too, Greg. I mean, I may be in a suburb, but I live 
where pain is an everyday experience. The difference is we live in a world where we try to make it look like there's no pain. You ever notice that? Your HOA makes sure that your lawns are green, your house is painted, and that everything's good. When we meet our neighbors, we're like, hey, how are you doing? I'm great. We're like, I'm fine. Maybe even use that expression when your life isn't. And when you start engaging your neighbors and you engage other people, it begins to kind of feel like nobody's got any problems. We seem to have all the problems. Nobody seems to have any issues. We seem to have the issues. And so you kind of insulate and back away. And the answer is that while there's not a lot of the physical pains that we see in other third world countries, we have more of the psychological pains. We have a lot of these other pains that are showing up that we don't feel are safe to share. We can't really spread that around. And so we wind up in a way not accepting pain, but avoiding pain. And I want to start with the opposite thought of this, that there, we need to accept there is pain. And we can't avoid it. We need to accept pain is a part of reality. Pain is a part of life. And while I think we go, yeah, it's a part of reality. Yeah, it's a part of life. We're good for this. This is, we, we know there's pain. I think when there we can begin to forget about it a little bit, especially when we try to run from it, when we try to avoid what's really going on in the pain. In the Bible, at the beginning of the Bible, it starts with a conversation of pain almost um, immediately. You have creation. God made it all perfect. It was wonderful. He creates Adam and Eve, and he tells them, hey, don't eat that, that, of that tree in the center of the garden. And so next thing you know, you got Eve and Adam sitting there going, is he looking? Is he looking? And they just pull that and they eat that fruit. And next thing you know, they are ashamed because they've broken God's law and now they're hiding. And suddenly, God comes out and says, hey, where are you guys? Oh, we're hiding. And they're, you know, hidden away. And God goes, why are you hiding? He says, have you eaten of the fruit that I gave you? And they say, yeah, we, you know, and they don't actually say, yeah. They kind of look at him like, oh, well, uh, uh. and then they blame each other. You know, Adam says the woman did, the woman says the serpent's fault. And then God gets into this. He says to the woman, and this is what's called the curse. He says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. In other words, God says, you're going to have pain in your kids and pain in your marriage. I think we've just summed it all up right there, haven't we? It's like... It's just kind of, there's pain with kids, there's pain with parents, there's pain in family, there's pain in relationships, there's this struggle going on, and it grows from there, because then he turns to the man, and he says, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, and now work, and our food has pain associated with it. And suddenly we've got kind of all the aspects of life, everything that we enjoy has a sense of pain because humanity disobeyed God and has decided to go their own direction to their own thing. So everything we do, everything where we go is going to have some kind of engagement with pain. And, and that kind of shows up as when you're a kid, there's certain kinds of pains. Yeah, you skin your knee and it hurts and you cry. You're told no by your parents. And so you can't have the ice cream. And, you know, those pains are little. They seem huge as a kid. Usually, I'll tell my, I used to be in the hallway, and I, one of my kids, I'd tell them, they'd be like, I want to eat the candy. I'm like, no, you can't eat the candy. And they'd start falling apart crying. Inevitably, somebody in the church would walk up and go, is he okay? And I'd say, oh, yeah, I just told him about the Holocaust. You know, it's like, because they're... <laughs> That's how you should respond, but he's like falling apart over candy. And it's either childhood pains, right? On the other, I'm a bad parent. Anyway, the, 
on the other side, you wind up with, you get a little older, you get teenager, you're growing up, you're starting to feel the pain of love. Like, oh, she doesn't like me. You feel rejection. You start getting into a little bit more complex stuff. Sure, you still skin your knees. Sure, you're still told no. And that's still, it's like, ah, it bugs you. But it's not the same kind of pain. Then you, you get older and you start having a family. Now you're, now it's the fear of, of pain in different ways. The pain of having to raise your kids. The pain of your own self being engaged to the pain at work. All these other pains. Then you start hitting middle, that middle age cycle and you start going, man, I have pain in the fact that um, I, didn't have, I didn't accomplish what I thought I would do. I've got pain in my knees and my eyes and I didn't have these pains before. And suddenly age starts catching up to you. By the time you're older, you're probably beginning, if you haven't already injured yourself when you're younger, you're living with some chronic pain. You're starting to deal with pain being a regular part of the cycle of your life. In the middle of all of that journey, however, is the reality that we are told by our culture to avoid pain. You don't have to deal with your pain. And so we actually run from pain. We, we try to ignore the pain. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to not take Tylenol or painkiller or something. But what happens is that in our culture where we really try to push pain away from ourselves, we don't deal with the pains that come. We don't deal with the pain in our family. So you're told, don't, you don't have to deal with the pain in your marriage. Just get a divorce. You don't have to deal with the pain with your, with your children and, and stuff. Just, you know, kind of raise them and, and send them on their way. You don't have to keep engaging them later. Oh, you don't have to deal with your parents later. We have this literal ability just to go, well, I got pain there. I don't have to deal with this. Put it at arm's length. Some of us have gotten so good at avoiding pain that we actually will use other things to medicate. Food is a medication people use for pain. They'll go and eat and eat and eat and eat because it makes them feel better. Some of you shop to avoid pain. Literally, you find yourself shopping and you don't know why, but it just feels good. You're out doing something and you're not thinking about that problem. Some of us use drugs, literally, recreationally, to avoid pain. Some people have used sex. Some people use alcohol. Some people have used all kinds, you name it. We've got people who are using video games to avoid pain. And in our avoidance and medicating with other things, we become a culture of addicts. I mean, how many of us have shown up at the end of a long day where it's been really hard and it's just like, I don't want to, and a problem shows up and you're thinking, I really don't want to deal with this right now. And you go do something completely different like watch a television show or do something. Anybody else ever said those words before? I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm too tired. Okay, everybody's like, if I raise my hand, I'm guilty. So, of course we've said this. Our culture actually tells you, you need to take a break today. And oftentimes when we feel that way, it's because I got too much pressures and the pain of life. And what happens when we don't deal with the pain is we think it goes away because it feels good and it's gone, the feelings are gone, but it just grows. It's just waiting to come back. It's waiting to step back in. It's waiting to deal with us. And so suddenly we begin to realize that this, this pain and the fear of this pain can begin to, to kind of get larger like a balloon just keeps growing it's not like it's being dealt with no air is being released it's just well I feel better I'm distracting myself how do we deal with pain how do we deal with the fear of pain this idea that I I might end up in pain well I think the way we deal with the fear of pain is understanding what God's intentions with pain are so I'm going to give you four purposes with pain. And we want to begin by overcoming uh, this fear of pain, by trusting God's purposes for pain. And again, fear is always overcome by trust in God. You, your fear of death is overcome by trusting in Christ and what he's done for you. Your fear in this idea of, um, of, a, of evil is to trust that Christ has overcome evil and to realize God's in control. Our fear here of, de- of this kind of pain is to realize that God is, yes, in control of even pain. 
That he has purposes for it. And there are reasons that we go through things. Now, he allows them in. I don't think he's like up there inflicting the pain. But he allows them for certain purposes. We'll start with the most basic one. And the most basic thing is the call us to turn to God. Pain exists in this world as a call for humanity to repent of their sins and turn to God. Now, I get this from Revelation, and it's all actually throughout the Bible, but I'm picking a very serious one, because this is one there. it's very clear. Everybody's freaked out by the book of Revelation, because it's all about God's wrath and anger and all this stuff that's happening. And what's interesting is it kind of identifies what's going on here in Revelation chapter 16. He says, the fifth angel poured out his bowl, and that's the bowl of wrath, on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish, cursed the God of heaven for the pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So God sends it intentionally to call people to repent of their sins. He's saying, look, you're sinning in this way. I am bringing this to wake you up. Now, people go, why would God do that? Because they already tried blessing. He's already tried blessing the earth. He's already tried overwhelming the earth with good things. He's given them breath and air and mountains and earth and people and all kinds of great good things. And now he said, you don't hear me in my blessing? Maybe you'll hear me in my justice. And so he lays that out. But they don't want to listen. They stop their ears. They get mad that God's inflicting them. And guess what? That's a heartbeat that some of us have. Some of us fold our arms and get angry. Or some of us sit there with our, get all ticked off at God when we're in pain. Why would God do this to me? Why is God up? What's he up to? I can't believe in a God because there's so much pain in the world. These kind of statements. And I hate to say it, but maybe God's just trying to get your attention. And you're saying, oh, great, Uh, you know, you sin and that means pain comes? Well, I want to hold off here for a second because not every evil on the, every problem on this earth, every pain that you feel comes from a direct, directly from a sin. In fact, there's a story of Jesus walking up to a man who was born blind and, and and the disciples come and say, well, who sinned? His mother or his father? Somehow this consequential reality. And Jesus says, that's not how this works. People aren't born blind because the parents sin. That's not how this works. It's not a punishment. This is for God's glory. So not all pain that occurs, not all suffering that happens is because of a sin. Now, pain exists in our world because of the ultimate original sin, and we're all involved in that. So I'm not saying that either, but pain is in this world because of sin. But your particular pain that you may be feeling does not necessarily always derive from your sin. But guess what? There are a lot of them that do, isn't it? A lot of stuff that we go through is self-inflicted. And we know that sometimes the marital problem is self-inflicted because we're not willing to listen. You knew you should go get counseling way earlier, but you never did out of pride. Or maybe it's the situation where you dove into overeating or some kind of addiction because back there you should have dealt with a pain in your life and somebody was trying to help you, but you just kind of put it aside. It was too much for you, too overwhelming. You didn't know how to deal with it. In this case, a lot of sin that we do brings pain. A lot of our lying to others, a lot of our um, jealousy with other people, a lot of our just plain pride and arrogance and the way that we treat other people brings pain in our own lives. And I think God allows that pain there to wake us up and say, listen, are you willing to hear from me? I'm trying to communicate to you to turn to me because the life that you're living is dangerous and it's destructive and it's harming and I'm trying to show you how it's it's ruining things. Do you hear me? Please turn. And I don't know if that's your scenario. Because you may, be, you, may, you may not be following God and you may be in a lot of pain and I don't know why, but maybe 
maybe it's an opportunity for you to just talk to God about it. Maybe instead of accusing God, it's a time and a chance to get back and say, God, are you trying to get my attention? If so, would you, would you make it clear? And listen and look. I do believe that God will answer. I do believe that he, if he's trying to get your attention and he's brought this into your life, he's trying to wake you to something and guide you to him who is trying to love you and bless you, not keep you in that. But now, wait, does this mean, Greg, that if I come to Jesus, all my pain goes away? Church, is that what it means? No. Anybody wish it did? You know, it's like, <laughs> right? It just, it's, that's not how it works. In fact, unfortunately, when you come to Christ, just to be honest, there's probably a little bit more pain. Pain is part of the Christian reality because God's second purpose, he wants pain to be used to make us like Christ. He wants to make us better people. He wants to make us stronger in our character. Note in this verse in Romans chapter 5. It states that he's just finished saying, we're now at peace with God and we rejoice over that. But not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Anybody else think that's crazy? And you're in the middle of suffering right now, in the middle of pain, you're actually like, ooh, let's throw a party. My life's falling apart. You know, that's, but he's saying, look, we, we do, as Christians, we do rejoice in our sufferings in a way, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what he's saying is in essence this. We've all heard in the gym when the people yell, no pain, no gain. Everybody heard that one? Bible said it first, right? Saying, hey, no pain, no gain in the world of character. There's no sufferings. There's no endurance. There's nothing to push yourself against. There's no, there's no ability to build that, that, spirit, that character muscle, that spiritual ability. And so once you've endured through it, it actually shapes you. It proves something in you. And it gives you a hope. And this isn't like a wish fulfillment hope. Like, boy, I hope ponies fly one day. You know, not that, you know, I hope I get a flying skateboard. No, it's, a hope is a different thing. This hope is I've ordered something online and it's coming to me through the mail. Uh, what day is it going to happen? It's a hopeful expectation. Sure, you hope it's today because you know it's coming. That's radically different. And that's what this hope is. That once you have this character, it builds the fact that you're more assured of your hope is coming. And as that comes, God's love has been poured into your heart through this Holy Spirit and he's with you in that. Now, what's interesting to me is that God wants to take us through times of pain to make us stronger and better people. We know this is how this works. In fact, the picture in the Bible is of a, what's called a refiner's fire or the smelting pot. And you would take gold from the ground or silver that was mined out, and it would be impure. It wouldn't be pure stuff. So you'd put it in a, in a, in a refiner's fire in a smelting pot, and it would heat it up, and it would boil up, and all the impure metals would come to the top, and they'd scrape them off. So what was left was the pure alloy, the pure actual silver or gold. And you take that and use that later. And the idea is that in pressure, under pressure and in suffering and in pain, it boils our character problems to the top. Anybody agree with that? I mean, if you've been sitting on the 91 and the 15 long enough, you can agree with me on that one. <laughs> you are the most impatient, most angry, most frustrated than you've ever been when you're sitting there and you're like, it's just an accident. I hate it when you think it's an accident. You drive the whole freeway and you never saw an accident anywhere. You know, what was the point of this? 
But that's the point. It just bubbles up this garbage in our life. You're, I can remember talking to my buddy when he first had kids and I just reattached to, or just reconnected to him a couple weeks ago and he just blew me away when he said that he's not a Christian, but it was just, it was profound. He said, look, how is it having kids? He says, man, it's like this. Your highs are higher and your lows are lower. Your love is stronger and your anger is greater. And I'm like, that is so true. And the more kids you add, the bigger it gets. There's, an, there's a real reality that what God's doing is putting you in the pressure pot. There's pain when you face yourself in parenting. There's pain when you face yourself in marriage. There's a pain when you face yourself because you're single and you haven't been married yet. And in those pains, God boils up literally your very character flaws. Why? So you can identify them and God can begin to work on them with you. Many of us don't enter into pain and think through this. We enter into pain and we just kind of go, I'm in pain, I'm in pain. And we don't learn and grow as God's wanting to use. Some of us are in pain because God wants to bring up something in us. You want to see your impatience, your pride, your arrogance, your anger, your laziness, whatever it is. He's going, let's deal with this. Let's, let's shape this. Let's grow in this. Sometimes he's telling us, don't go over there. Sometimes pain is there to guide you away from a sin that you're marching towards, that you're involved in. And he's trying to wake you up as his child. And he's saying, don't, no, you don't sleep with your girlfriend. You don't, you don't live with them. Get away from that. You're going to be incurring discipline. And there is pain that comes and God will bring it to wake us up to walk in his way. And we need to realize that that is something we need to listen for and connect with. Now, if you're in a, if you're in a stage of life like that, and if you're not in something like that, you're probably about to go into it, they say, or you just got out of it. So the best thing to do is to make sure that we have the community around us. If you're not in a small group and you're going through suffering, you're going through pain, if you don't have a friendship group that's intimate with you that you can share that stuff with and is safe, Guys, you're going through it alone. And it's going to eat you alive. God gave you the church and gave each other. We was given to each other. We were here for each other for the sake of to get through and carry burdens with each other in these kind of cases. So that where I'm not seeing the character flaw, my wife can go, there it is. I go, thank you. You know, that's how it works. She can point it out and I can then work on it. We work together in community. We work together building each other up. Our parents can point things out. Our friends can point things out. They can lift us up in prayer. So God uses pain to make us more like Christ. Another one is God uses pain to strengthen your faith. This is different than building character. This is uh, to strengthen our faith in another way. And, and have you ever been in that situation where you're talking to somebody and, and, you've, and you've seen their suffering they're going through and you're like, man, if I ever went through that, would I stay a Christian? Would I get mad at God? You ever ask yourself that question? I remember I was sitting in my office many years ago and a couple came in, or actually it was just the husband. He was broken, just, just tears. His face just, just looked like he just melted. His, his adult daughter had committed suicide the night before in their home. Those are the times where you're like, Greg, I'm so glad you're the pastor. I'm gonna go to my nice little job. And I'm sitting there going, why can't I quit? This is, this is horrible. It It hurts. It's painful. And you know, it's frightening. When I'm watching this man wrestle with the loss of his daughter, I'm, I'm sitting there going, how, I had to ask, how are you doing with the Lord? Where are you at? And he looked at me, and through all this pain, he said, I've never been closer to God. I'm wrecked by him. 
but I'm not, but he has been so close to us. And I'm just like, whoa. Not only was I blown away by his response, I was assured that this guy is not going anywhere with the Lord. God could throw anything at him and he's not moving. He's going to stay with the Lord. But you know what they did? It made me go, if I went through stuff like that, would I be okay? If my kid died, would I stick it out with the Lord? It can make that question. And so what God does sometimes, he puts us through tests. He walks us through pain and trial to reveal to you that your faith is true and genuine. Notice how Peter puts it. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, various pains, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold and perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, guys, God tests the genuineness of your faith with your trials, with the pains that you go through. That God is actually trying to reveal to you that your faith is true, strong, and capable of handling this. Some of you are at the beginning of your faith journey. You're just right there at the beginning of being a Christian. And you are starting to face those pains. Sometimes it looks like the pain of having to make a hard decision. Like you're living with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you know Christ is telling you it's time to, it's time to put that right. You're not supposed to be living together and sleeping together. And you're going, oh, I know that. That's oh, hard. Some of you guys are in a situation where you know you're dealing in business and you've got a job where you're actually literally having to lie and do some things that are shady and now you're having to draw lines. Others of you are on the brink of a bad marital divorce and you're having to challenge yourself with whether or not the scriptures are clear that you're allowed to stick this out and you're going, I need to do this and you've got to to amen And, and you're at this beginning point and it starts to feel like, God, why are you doing this to me? I just gave my life to you. This is horrible. What he's doing is he's trying to show you that your faith is genuine and strong if you will simply endure and keep going. That the hard decisions that you're making and the difficulties that you're facing may be God trying to reassure you and strengthen that very trust in him. What do you do in those situations? You lean hard on God. You get in prayer. You get in the word. You get into his purposes. You connect with him and you connect with the community and you keep going because he's there. He's there in it and he's walking you through it and he wants it to result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. What that means is that God literally says, well done. He looks at you and gives you honor because you've made it through these trials and stood with him. In our cases, they look like this. In their cases, it was literal persecution. They were being, they were being killed off like ISIS was killing off Christians today. This is what is the kind of stuff that we go through. As Christians, sometimes there's more suffering, but God uses it to strengthen our faith. Some of you are in a painful doubting situation. There have been people who have thrown darts and questions at you, and you don't know how to answer them, and you're wrestling, and you want, and you don't know, and so you're just hiding it. You're just pushing it down. I have faith. I have faith. I have faith. Trust me, to wrestle through the pain of the doubts and come to true answers will always strengthen your faith in the end. It is a powerful thing. Don't, don't fear the questions. Study and grow. It can strengthen your faith. The fourth reason for pain is to example and point people to Christ. Uh, The best way to point this out is, again, in the book of Luke, speaking about um, the end times and all these horrible situations that would be coming upon the church, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. This is how he 
Look, all this bad stuff, this is your opportunity to be a, bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I'll give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, and this is the kind of stuff that's going to happen, by parents. Oh, that's nice. Brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you will be put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance. You will gain your lives. How do you be witnesses? Through your endurance, you'll gain your lives in all of the trials that you go through. There's a correlation between our suffering and the ability to point people to Jesus Christ. It was well known in the early church. It was a phrase that was often stated. It was called the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more they killed Christians, the more they sacrificed them for their gods and tried to get rid of them, the more the Christian faith spread. Because we don't go into martyrdom by strapping bombs on ourselves. That's not martyrdom in Christianity. Martyrdom is given by giving our lives up for other people in love of them, even if it costs us everything, just like Jesus did for us. That's what it means to be a martyr. So when we live out the gospel and we live it out truly and we're loving other people, you will suffer so that they can see your faith. I remember um, there's a story that kind of reveals a, a side note to this, that when one of us suffers and we gather around, the beauty of the church shines. Tiffany was um, is one of our singers. She's had some hip surgeries and stuff over the years and um, and one of those, she was, she was pretty bound up in, in the hospital. And you guys just unloaded, came in over and over and over and over again. So the nurses were like, man, you got a pretty big family. And she's like, yes, I do. It's my church family. And it was a witness to those nurses. It was a witness to those people in the hospital where they were getting used to Olive Branch just showing up and caring for her. Guys, when we're responding to each other in pain and we're lifting each other up in pain, we example Christ. We example the love of God. And when we endure through pain, people go, what is it that you've got? And it gives you opportunity. When we avoid pain, what we're basically saying is we're avoiding opportunities to be better people, to know that our faith is strong and have opportunities. And if we believe the lies that entertainment and other things can just help us anesthetize and deal with our pain, and we just get, if we can just get rid of our pain, life will be good. That's not the Christian viewpoint. God flips pain. He uses pain. He uses pain to develop and shape and change us. It is other religious perspectives that say, live a life without pain, and you found nirvana. That's not the Christian perspective. God used pain at the cross to transform humanity. So how, how do we understand and keep these purposes? Because here's a problem. In America, we're taught when we deal with our pain, you need to focus inward. And what we do is we focus on our pain. Even most of us as Christians, we probably pray about our pain more than we do anything else. We talk about our pain to God. We talk about our pain. We're, we're focused on right now, the pain here and now. Now, if you go see a Christian counselor or, or secular counselor, either way, Oftentimes, our pain, will, they will help us look back in our past to see what did we do to cause our pain? What in our past has helped bring this pain about? And that's not a problem. You need to know your background. You need to know those things. It helps you see patterns. It helps you deal with stuff. It helps you grow in character. But it can't answer the pain right here and now. So now you're focused on your pain and you know why you're in pain, but you're going, I'm still in pain. How did the early church deal with pain? They had a radically different way of dealing with it. They were by, we, are, we overcome by being convinced of our destiny, and that puts pain in perspective. They looked forward. 
Not just a few days. They look forward to eternity. I want you to see this. Paul says this in the book, in his letter to the Corinthian church. He says, for this light momentary affliction, speaking of his suffering in life, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. But as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the future, to the things that are not seen, to our promises, he says, it will help you see that this is light momentary affliction. And people go, oh, well, what was Paul suffering? If he could say it was light momentary affliction, that couldn't be that bad. Well, let's take a look at what Paul suffered. If you will, grab a Bible up until 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to read it to you. We're not going to really lay it out, but I want you to hear Paul's sufferings. These light momentary afflictions. I'm going to be again in verse 24. He is bragging at this point in the, book, in the letter because he's trying to prove that his life is, is, is decent enough to be considered an apostle. There are other super apostles, as they call themselves, floating around trying to claim Paul was a nobody. And so he just begins. He says, this is a bad idea. In verse 21, he'll say, I'm speaking as a fool. But then he goes on in verse 24. Five times, or I'll start 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. This is a corporal punishment in which you were put to a stake. They would take a cat of nine tails or at least a whip of some kind, and they would whip your back 39 times. Well, sometimes cutting the skin open, wide open, take you weeks to heal. He says, yeah, I went through that five times. Now... Three times I was beaten with rods, long cane that they would take and crack over your back. Again, 39 times. Once I was stoned. This is not referencing marijuana. This is referencing, this is in our culture, I have to say this. This is referencing the picking up of rocks and literally hucking them at you while you're stuck at a stake. And then they beat you to death throwing rocks at you. That's stoning. And so he had that incurred to him once. He was then drug out of town, assumed dead, and was brought back. So very few people could probably put that down as a list of things that have happened to them. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Fear that they're going to leave the faith. Fear that they were going to be corrupted. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of these of the things that show my weakness. If the God and Father of the Lord Je- of, our, of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Artis was guarding the city Damascus in the do- in order to seize me, but I was let down by a basket through a window and a wall and escaped his hands. These momentary light afflictions. What enables a man to go through that amount of suffering within a period of only 20 to 30 years to call a momentary and light? Except that he was like all the Christians. 
He didn't go examine his past and say, what did I say wrong? What did I do wrong? Oh, this hurts right now. He looked up and saw the future. He looked at the things that he, that he was promised. And so he would say later in Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And he likely wrote that, preparing to go suffer in Jerusalem. He wrote Corinthians sitting in a jail cell. Which again, jails were not pretty places. They didn't have the, the TVs and orange and all that. None of that was there. Sitting in a cesspool at the bottom of a pit. With a few rats for friends and maybe a couple other people. The sufferings of our time are not worthy to be comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. The perspective that the Bible gives us is one that lifts our eyes above our problems for a moment to look out beyond into eternity. And when we begin to see that, what you begin to dawn on, when you begin to meditate on heaven, you begin to meditate on the new earth, you begin to meditate on the resurrection, you begin to meditate on a time in which there will be no more death, no more dying, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sin, no more sorrow. You begin to meditate on a world that's renewed, where there's no more environmental problems, where there's no more evil from, from governments or other institutions. You begin to meditate on a world where pain isn't known in the way that we understand it. And you begin to long for a greater country. You begin to long for a greater hope. You begin to see that if I can just get through this small endurance, uh, not only that, it adds to eternity that it's a greater weight of glory that's coming. Jesus called them treasures in heaven that you're storing up ahead of you so that your heaven is even bigger. It's even bolder. It's even greater. We don't know how that works, but that's the promise. And as you suffer and work through these things, you don't have to focus back to figure out what you did, although it can help. You don't have to stare at your navel and, and be miserable. You can lift your eyes up and see that Christ has redeemed the ultimate end of your life and that you will not be in this situation in comparison. Yeah, you may get 70, maybe 80, maybe you're going to get to 90 years of your life. Compare that to 90 on top of 90, on top of 90, on top of 90, on top of 1,000, on top of another 1,000, on top of another 1,000, on top of an age upon an age. In fact, the Greek term for eternity is that word, age upon age. What's it going to be like 30,000 years into eternity? We're still going to be sitting around remembering our sufferings? We're going to realize the eternal glory that God's given us as a gift through Jesus Christ. Not worked on, not worked up. Yes, you're suffering now and it hurts and it's hard and you need the community and you need prayer and you need to be near God. You need to know he has purpose though for it so that you cannot be swallowed and controlled by your pain so that the fear of pain coming again in your life does not control you to become an avoider and somebody pushes away. But lift your eyes up, meditate on what God has given to you in eternity. Set your heart in heaven. And watch how it orients and gives you perspective on the things of today. Are they easy? I'm not erasing the difficulty, no. But in comparison, it can give you perspective to keep going. And to see that God may be shaping you and changing you in this. He has his good purposes. And watch what happens. Would you bow your heads with me? This morning, I want to invite you to consider something if you are not somebody who follows Jesus Christ. And maybe what you heard is kind of odd. You, you're, maybe you're a little offended that God might bring pain upon you um, to get your attention. 
That may not be the case right now. You may be receiving his blessing. What a better time to turn and face him, to get to know him. But either way, if you're not following, following after God, we have sin and we have to deal with it because there is a day in which all humanity will be judged for their things they've done, for the evil, the good and the bad, the evil and the right. And all that life will be laid out. We'll have to pay for the evil and we'll have to, and, and we'll have to deal with that there. And nobody has the what it takes to pay for that. No human being does. And so God, knowing this and not wanting anyone to suffer in hell for the punishment of their sins, has sent his son Jesus to bear on the cross our sins. To bear on the cross our punishment so that we wouldn't have to go there. We wouldn't have to suffer that. And he gives that as a gift to humanity. And this morning, you have an opportunity to receive that if you would. And in that, God takes the most painful thing that's ever faced him, which is the death of his son and the judgment of his son to bear our sins. And he uses it to redeem us. And God wants to redeem pain. He wants to redeem everything in this world. So he offers you the chance to be redeemed today, to be transformed by being forgiven of your sins, by receiving this gift. And so here's an opportunity today where God says, here, I give you my son, Jesus, to bear your sins. Will you receive it? Right where you're at in your seat, maybe it's time. It's time to receive that forgiveness. It's time to receive that gift. If that's you, and you know it's time, and God is clearly telling you, receive my forgiveness, and you're ready to do that right now, I'll give you a chance. Just indicate to me that that's where you're at by putting your hand up, and you'll be able to say, yes, I need the forgiveness of sins. Yes, I need this gift from God. If that's where you're at, I want to give you an opportunity right now to begin to talk to God. Start by telling him the things, the sins that you've done wrong. Confess those things to him. And as you work through those, you're able to then turn around from those sins and face God. Tell him that you're willing to receive the forgiveness of sins. Tell him you trust what Jesus did on the cross. Ask him to come into your life and to lead you through all of it. And then just tell him thank you. God, for those in this room who have been making that decision, would you continue to speak with them and guide them, reveal yourself to them, and please uh, make it clear the forgiveness of sins that they have received. God, I lift up those in this room who are in great pain today, chronically, emotionally. Thank you that you break into that, that you are present and you're here as a comforter and you can guide us. But God, help them to lift their eyes, I pray, and to to think and ponder heaven. To allow the the reality of Easter, the resurrection, to sink in at this time to give them hope. To lift their spirit for a moment. And God, be there with them and guide them, I pray, that they might find a healing and a help from the church and each other in this time. Help them to continue to endure in Jesus' name. Amen.